Kingdom living implies you're following the right king. Trent Griffith explains. You ever clean house? We're just going to tidy up. We're going to get rid of some junk. That's a picture of what happens for a person that initially says, I'm going to reform my behavior. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to start going to church. It's not enough to reform your life. If you want to move from the crowd to the kingdom, you have to replace your king. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Do you know who won the 2016 Nobel Prize in Literature? No clue? Well, it was none other than the musical artist Bob Dylan. They said they gave it to him for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. In fact, Bob Dylan wrote this. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Or another way you could put it, somebody is your king. Today on Resonate, Pastor Trent takes us to God's Word to tell us more about kings and kingdoms and who we're serving. Here's Pastor Trent. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. If you've been with us over the course of the last 12 months or so, we began a journey verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we are getting started marching through the next three chapters of Luke, chapter 11, 12, and 13. And the title of the series is called Out of the Crowd and Into the Kingdom. The reason is because we're going to see a lot of language about kingdom and we're going to see a lot of crowds that came to hear the message of Jesus talk about the kingdom. Um, The first 11 chapters of the Gospel of Luke has a lot of narrative about what Jesus did. Now this section of Luke is going to be a lot about what Jesus said. I want to anchor this whole series in one little verse that's tucked away in chapter 12. And here it is. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't you just love the gentleness that you hear in the voice of Jesus saying that? But the kingdom is something that can be rejected And it is something that can be received. Which brings us to that word kingdom, which is the one that we need to wrap our minds around here because Jesus is talking about the kingdom here. What in the world is he talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? Synonymous terms. But we don't really think about kingdoms because we live in America, right? And yet the culture into which the Bible was written was ones of clashing kingdoms. What is the kingdom? First of all, let's say this. The kingdom of God is simply the rule and reign of God over all. All of creation is subject to the rule and the reign of Almighty God. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established His 
throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. And so that comforts us to know that there is not one thing that moves one inch without the sovereign permission of God. Not one person, not one ruler, not one demon moves one inch without the sovereign control of God. God's kingdom rules and reigns over all. And then the kingdom of God is the hope of fallen humanity. Just in the first few pages of the Bible, we find out that, that our original mother and father, that God sovereignly gave a free will, rejected his kingdom. And you know what they said? Uh, we think we can rule and reign better than God. And so we're going to be king. And so they rejected God's rule and reign. And as a result, everything has been twisted and broken and fallen. That's why the world is so scary. That's why we have fear and anxiety. That's why we worry and we fret and we wonder, what is this all about? And why is everything so dissatisfying? Why are relationships so tense? Why is there pain? Why is there sickness? Why is there disease? Why is there death? It's because it's all broken. And we live outside of the kingdom. It's pretty depressing, right? And yet, when we begin to march through the Old Testament, we're introduced to some writers identified as prophets. And those prophets started predicting that one day there would be a day when the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God. There would be a king that would come and establish righteousness on earth and in a new creation forever. And those prophets give us hope. It's like, when's that day coming? That, how about today? Any, anybody in favor of that happening today? Yeah, bring it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so there's this anticipation that it's going to like happen immediately. Like, come on, let's go. And then we get to the New Testament and we find that the kingdom of God comes in a very unexpected way. The kingdom of God was the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. King Jesus, born as a baby in a manger. And we find the first recorded words of King Jesus to be these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to announce the kingdom of God is here right now for those who will move out of the crowd into the kingdom. Jesus began to teach, and his entire teaching ministry was meant to show people how they can enter the kingdom of God. And it came in a very unexpected way because we would, we would expect if the kingdom is here, he would overthrow all of the wicked, evil kings of this world who oppress people and abuse power. And yet, what we find is that the kingdom of God has attacked the ruler and the evil force behind it all. His name is Satan. So instead of transforming the realms of political power, God has invaded the spiritual forces and the spiritual powers at work inside the hearts of men. 
the king that Jesus came to overthrow is King me. That little throne inside my heart, which is so prone to be influenced by the power and the rule and the reign of Satan, Jesus has come to say, that belongs to me. And all of those who will surrender the right to be king can move out of the crowd and into the kingdom. How's this message going so far? Are you encouraged so far? That's the introduction. It gets better, okay? So here is what I came to tell you, all right? Three things about the kingdom. Number one, the kingdom of God is clashing with the kingdom of Satan. Let's pick up the story here, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and so he made a man lose his voice, which is tragic because God made the voice of man to do one thing, exalt and praise and glorify the name of Jesus. When you can't do that, that's tragic. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I, I want to free that guy's voice to exalt Jesus. So it says, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and all the people marveled. Not a lot of detail given about how that happened. It just happened. Not hard thing for Jesus? No. Because Jesus was king, and he came to clash with the kingdom of Satan. And there we have an instance of Jesus assaulting the authority of Satan on earth. And so that provokes some discussion about what kind of power was involved, verse 15. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So one of these demons, I guess, had a name. His name was Beelzebub, and they knew who it was. He's like, okay, you, you're not doing that by the authority, the rule, and the reign of God, because if we said that, then we'd have to acknowledge you as the king of the kingdom. We know you're not the king of the kingdom, so you've got to be using some other power. There's only one other power. You've got to be doing that by the power of Satan. And others, they kept testing him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Notice, Jesus acknowledges the kingdom of Satan. It's a real thing. And it opposes the kingdom of God. So Jesus acknowledges it, and then he says, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, don't you love that? God doesn't even need a whole hand. He doesn't need a fist. Just a little pinky finger, just like you, well, you'd flick a bug off the table, you know? That's, that's, that's how much power and authority Jesus has over the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Satan. If I cast out um, him by the finger of God, then, notice this, end of verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God all of the Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. The kingdom of God was coming to earth. The kingdom of God was breaking into the kingdoms of this world 
through the ministry, the message, and the mission of Jesus. Verse 21, he uses a metaphor. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. How many feel like you could defend your palace? I won't ask you. Some of you are armed and dangerous, and you're strong. You, you, you fend off an attacker, right? Well, Jesus uses the analogy here and says, you know who the strong man is in verse 21? It's Satan. Jesus acknowledges Satan is strong. Satan is stronger than you. Satan knows more Bible than you. He's a strong man. So, do we have any hope? Yes, we do. Verse 22. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Who's the one stronger? What's his name? It's King Jesus. King Jesus is stronger. Satan is strong. Jesus is stronger. Satan is mighty. God is almighty. Do you know what that means? We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live dominated by Satan or sin because the power of Satan has been broken. Jesus has disarmed the devil. We continue reading in the New Testament, and this is what we find out. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in their case, he's speaking of unbelievers, in the case of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The title for Satan here is the God of this world. Little g. You say, wait a minute, I thought you said God rules and reigns over all. Yes, the God of heaven ro rules over the God of this world. But we live in this world where Satan has power. We live in his territory in a sense. Yes, Jesus has come to inaugurate the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And yet, we know that the kingdom of God has not fully and finally been established. We live in the land in between. We live in a war zone. There's a spiritual conflict between good and evil taking place. And for those of us that have made our way out of the crowd into the kingdom, we should expect spiritual opposition. But not only that, we should expect spiritual victory. The question is, why? Why? Jesus, like, come on anytime. We could, you can set up your throne here anytime. You can overrule the dominions and the thrones and the, the powers and the principalities. What, what are you waiting on, Jesus? Let me tell you what he's waiting on. Matthew 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You want to help Jesus get here a little sooner? Go preach the gospel, live sent, and proclaim to the nations the gospel that we so freely enjoy here. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for us to get the gospel to the nations. And when we do, the end will come. This gracious God wants more people to move 
from the crowd to the core, to the kingdom. And he wants this little flock to become a little bigger. And that's why we live sent. But be assured, while we do that, we're going to be opposed. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be marginalized because we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Here's the second thing. The kingdom of God is entered through the gate of repentance. Look down here at verse 23. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus leaves no room for middle ground. You cannot give passive approval to Jesus. Let me show you what will happen if you simply give passive approval to Jesus. Look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Do you get the analogy? He's using a metaphor. You ever clean house? We're just going to clean house. We're going to tidy up. We're going to get rid of some junk. That's that's a picture of what happens for a person that initially says, I'm going to reform my behavior. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to start going to church. But Jesus is teaching us the issue is not behavioral reform. It is kingly replacement that is important. It's not enough to reform your life. If you want to move from the crowd to the kingdom, you have to replace your king. And if all you do is reform and not replace, notice what verse 26 says. Then that demon goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. You understand what he's saying? Wavering, indecision, am I going to be part of the kingdom of the world, or am I going to be part of the kingdom of Christ? Can I just have one foot in both? Do you know what he's saying? You're inviting demonic activity in your life. And your last state will be worse than if you didn't even try to reform your behavior. You know, let let me make it a little more tangible here. Every time we hear about a war that starts, there's hatred between nations, or even at a more basic level when two fifth graders get in a fight at school, or, you know, there's bullying that happens in a middle school. Every time there's, a, there, there's a, uh, an injustice in, in different socioeconomic platforms, and wherever there's those that are disadvantaged, and, and, and wherever there's children or, or women that are trafficked, all of that is because of this demonic evil influence that opposes the righteous rule and reign of God. Wherever a a divorce occurs, wherever marriages are hurt, wherever there's fatherless children, all of that is an evidence. We see all of that. As Christians, we know why all that happens. It's because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. And so we could get discouraged by that. 
Because all we are in the middle of these kingdoms, Jesus said, you're just a little flock. I mean, how is a little flock going to survive in the midst of an evil kingdom? But what Jesus does in this story and throughout the gospel of Luke is help this little flock to understand you have nothing to fear. When we read in verse 29, when the crowds were increasing. Now, there's the crowd language again. Now, if, let me ask you this. If you became so influential that around you crowds were increasing, what would be your message? I mean, what if all of a sudden all of your, you, you, you're in, you just got all these Instagram followers and you realized, I'm an influencer. I, I am now an influencer. I, I should have something to say to all of these people who are now following me in the crowd. What would you say? Let's find out what Jesus said when the crowds began increasing around him. This generation is an evil generation. Oh, yeah, the crowds are increasing. You're evil. That's not what I would say, but that's what Jesus would say. You know why? Because Jesus was not interested in increasing the size of his crowd. Jesus was interested in increasing the size of his kingdom. And this evil generation needed to repent to move from the crowd into the kingdom. He says... Uh, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given because, or except the sign of Jonah. Remember the Old Testament story about Jonah? God told him to go preach to the Ninevites because they were evil. And what did Jonah do? No, thank you. He jumps in a boat and starts heading the opposite direction, but then God sends an uber well to deliver him back over to the Ninevites to preach the message. He throws him up on the sea. He's like, okay, I better get after it here. I'm going to preach repentance. That's the story. And Jesus was saying, remember that guy? That's not just a cool little children's Bible story. That's a sign to an evil generation. Because he says this. He says, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse 31, the queen of the south. What? Who, who is that? Okay, so the old, another Old Testament story, book of Chronicles. There was this queen. Her name was Sheba. She heard about a king named Solomon. And she heard that Solomon had so much wisdom, she wanted to hear the wisdom, so she came a thousand miles. She left her throne to come and sit at the throne of King Solomon to listen to his wisdom. And Jesus says, remember that story? The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater is than Solomon is here. Do you know what he's saying? She came a thousand miles across the desert to hear a king's wisdom. Jesus is saying, I came from eternity to talk to you about a greater wisdom. Are you going to hear me? And then he goes back to Jonah, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented. That's the gateway into the kingdom. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
It's Jesus, King Jesus. All those Old Testament stories were pointing to the fact that Jesus would be king and the only way into King Jesus' kingdom is through repentance. You turn your back on sin and evil and the God of this world and you surrender the throne of your heart to King Jesus. He rules and reigns sovereignly in you. Last thing. The kingdom of God is seen through spiritual eyes. Verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar and under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is telling you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm light. And he's telling you, you, can you see it? The only way to enter into the kingdom, you gotta see the doorway and you gotta have spiritual eyes. Look at verse 34. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Another way of saying that is to, to use the word focus. Like, what's he talking about? Put the word focus in where you see the word eye. When your focus is healthy, your whole body or your whole life is full of light. And when your focus is bad, your body or your life is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be fully bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus is saying this, your problem is not a lack of light. You've been given signs. You've been sent prophets. Jesus has performed miracles. All of the miracles were signs to point that the kingdom of God has a king named Jesus. The question is, can you see it and will you repent? The problem is not a lack of light. The problem is a lack of sight. Will you willingly shut your eyes to the evidence that Jesus is king? Or will you open your eyes, turn your back on the kingdom of darkness, and enter in and move from the crowd into the kingdom? You say, I did that. I did that when I was 12 years old. Yeah, but you got to do it every day. Every 30 seconds, my heart has a tendency to be influenced by the God of this world. I'm in a spiritual battle. And so, could I encourage you as we dismiss and I send you back out into those kingdoms where there are challenges to the kingdom of God. Would you just in your heart resolve to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus? If Jesus is really your king, if he's really my king, then our lives will reflect that reality, won't they? While we've been listening as Pastor Trent Griffith challenges us to think carefully about who or what is ruling us. And if you're hungry for more of this kind of bold teaching from God's word, why not worship with us at Gospel City Church? You can find out when and where we gather by heading over to our website, mygospelcity.org. When you get there, just click where it says, I'm new here. There's a lot of helpful information there. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And why not check out our Facebook page where you can find more helpful content. 
Just search for Gospel City Church. Well, when you ask someone why they don't attend church, you'll hear a variety of answers, won't you? But one of the common objections is this. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent addresses that issue of hypocrisy head on, and you won't want to miss it. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word and the advancement of his kingdom would resonate in your life this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.